0: Well, you guys can find your seats. And I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles with me and uh, go to... The book of Exodus, we are going to be in the book of Exodus. We want you to, we love studying God's word. We've been in this for a little while, and we want you to have a copy of God's word in front of you, so if you don't have one, our ushers will come around you just get their attention. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. It is a gift from us to you. We love studying God's word together, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. We are going to be in Exodus chapter 15, all right? Exodus chapter 15, and I realize that some of you right now are feeling a little bit gypped. Like, wait, 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 wait. Well, like that was only two songs. Why is he preaching already? Like, did we, did we come in late? Like, what's, what's happening? They, don't worry, okay? This is on purpose, all right? I really, we're, we're gonna sing some more later on, uh, but but we just sang some incredible words. We just sang, We need to praise the name of the Lord, and right here in Exodus chapter 15, we get a song of praise, Moses. And the children of Israel start to sing a song. And the reason they're singing the song is because last week in chapter 14, we saw God do this incredible miracle, right? Where he parted the Red Sea. God was doing again what he had done in creation, right? This is the same thing he did in Genesis chapter 1 where it said he made the sea dry land. And so, so the Israelites are walking through the parting of the Red Sea. And man, can you imagine what that must have been like? Like just just walking through with like walls of water on either side of you the fish are looking at you weird like like this well, this should not be happening, but it did and 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 God just took out the most powerful army on earth without even lifting a sword. This is the greatest act of salvation in the Old Testament, and this is the reason so so seeing God save them is the reason that leads them to start Singing a song. Start praising the name of the Lord. So this is known sometimes as the song of Moses or the song at the sea. We're going to learn about singing. Now, I realize that some of you love singing. Some of you, you know, you sing in the shower. You, you, you sing wherever you can. You just enjoy that. Others of you are like, it's not my thing. Um, I, I, can we just all admit that sometimes singing is a little bit awkward? Is that fair? Okay. How many of you, be honest, how many of you have been caught uh, singing in the car, like you're like just belting it out, you know, having a great time, and then all of a sudden you look over and the person next to you is just sitting there watching you, right? And, and like you make eye contact with them and you try to like pass it off like you were yawning or something and it's, it's too late. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Will has actually caught me doing this and, and he like texted me later, super embarrassing, right? Um, we don't sing in public anymore. That's not, that's not something we really do. That's why musicals are weird. Like I realize that some of you love, mu- I, I enjoy a good musical, but musicals are weird because it, 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 in, in a musical, it's, it's like this normal everyday occurrence that somebody's just kind of strolling down the street walking and they just randomly bust out in song and dance and then everybody who's all these like strangers walking by, apparently they know the lyrics to the same song and, and they know the dance moves like a flash mob, like who does that? We, we don't sing in public. We don't, we don't sing. We leave that to the professionals, right? I mean, we've seen enough people make fools of themselves on TV singing when they really couldn't, right? So, so we, we just, we, we don't do that. Um, but I want to tell you that here at Harvest, we sing. And, and actually, let me throw these up here. These, these are, you, you know these, but these are, these are our six pursuits. These are the things that we want to be true of us as a church. We are, we're, we're, we're going after these things. We want this to be part of who we are and, and expressing and, and we're really chasing these things. These are things that we are pursuing as a church. One of them is passionate worship. Like, we just want to be a church, and that's, that. obviously we want to sing the praise of Jesus, but this is with our whole lives. We want everything to be for the glory of God. We want him to be exalted, and a big part of that is singing. And so we are going to sing as a church. We make no apologies for it because here's, here's, here's the big idea. Here's the reason. If you're taking notes, note this. We sing God's praises because of who he is, and what he does. We are going to praise the Lord. So let's, let's read this song. Here we are, Exodus chapter 15. We're going to read this song together starting in verse 1. It says, Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord. Why? For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Now we're going to tell the story. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. In the blast of your nostrils, The waters piled up and the floods stood up in a heap. The the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy. But you blew with your wind and the sea covered them. And they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. If you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed, you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling, Seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. There is still a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he is thrown into the sea. Father, we just, we praise your name. You are great and glorious. There is no God like you. Who is like you, oh Lord? And, and we need to be reminded of this. God, we need to, we, we need to see you afresh and, and be reminded the reason why we're singing, the reason why I want to praise you is because of who you are, what you've accomplished. And, and you deserve this. And so, uh, Lord, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is, it is perfect, reviving the soul. It is it is true, it makes wise the simple, it enlightens the eyes, it rejoices the heart. God, I, I pray that we would want this, delight in this. We would see Jesus high and lifted up today. We'd be reminded that you are, you're a glorious Savior. And I pray that we'd respond to that. I pray that we'd be a church that, that, that's, that, that is committed to this, that we want to passionately worship our God. That's what we do. I pray that you're pleased with what you see and what you hear today. I pray that you would meet with us. And Lord, we, we, we talk around, around here a lot about wanting to love you and live sent. And we, we do. We, we're thankful for the opportunities we've had to get on mission and share the love of Christ with other people. And, and, and trying to reach people in our community, people in our neighborhoods, our, our, our friends, our coworkers, our family. Lord, we're trying to get the gospel out. And yet, may it start with this, that we would love you. pray that, that, that our worship of you would propel the advancement of your mission. So will you just remind us of how great you are, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me give you two reasons, okay? Two, two examples, two examples for us to uh, follow here that I think we see in this song. Here's one if you're taking notes. Sing to your glorious Savior. That's what we're supposed to learn here, okay? That's a lesson for you, that you would sing to your glorious Savior. Here's what he says. Look at verse 1. Here's, here's what the, the, the song starts out with. He says, I will sing to the Lord. Why? Why? For he has triumphed gloriously. Like the, the, the reason Moses and the people are, are busting out singing is because they've just encountered a, a, and become eyewitnesses to this absolutely incredible miracle, this act of salvation. God just saved them. And here's the reality. Saved people sing. That's what we do. Saved people sing. This is why I think maybe we can do this where we can give you a little bit of a biblical theology of singing. Can we do that? Because I realize that for some of us it's a little weird, like if you think about it, we just kind of show up and, you know, we, we have lyrics on the screen and a band plays and we sing every week, well, why do, why, why do we do that? Some people might think, like, this is kind of weird, this isn't happening anywhere else. There's a reason we do this. So, so let me just back up and, and we're just going to kind of uh, see what Scripture says about singing for a minute. Let me give you five reasons, five reasons why we sing. Can I do that? Here's one, God sings. Did you know that? Like, we don't often think about it. I mean, we sing, angels sing. Did you know that God sings? Zephaniah chapter 3. I know you probably read that in your Devos this morning, but uh, you know, just in case you can't find it, I've got it for you on the screen. Here's Zephaniah chapter 3. It says this the, the Lord your God is in your midst. He will rejoice over you with gladness, He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Is that not an awesome picture? That the God who made you, the God who loves you, is singing over you. Our God sings. And, and the second reason is that Jesus also sings. Jesus sings. Mark chapter 14, we see an example of that. On the night before the cross, after he's had the last supper, right? Before going into the garden of Gethsemane, it says that he sung a hymn with his disciples. I think that probably was just one of many times that he was singing with his disciples. Listen, what that means is that we have a singing God and a singing savior. And so if he sings, then what could be more normal then for those of us who are made in his image than to sing too? Like he actually this is the third thing, he made us to sing. Did you know that? You you were designed to do this. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7 tells us that we were, we were created for his glory. That's why we're here. That is the reason you exist, is for the glory of God. You were made to praise the Lord. In fact, everything was made for the glory of God. And when we sing, guess what we're doing? We're actually joining in with the rest of creation, just doing what we were all made to do. The, the, the psalmist says the, the heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19. Psalm 96 tells us that the heavens are glad, the earth rejoices, the, the sea roars, the, the fields exult, the, the trees of the forest sing for joy. Do, do you see that? Everything that God has made is made for his glory and everything has been made to sing his praise. So maybe this week you need to uh, put your phone down and, and, and just go outside for a little bit and let God's creation teach you again why you're here. Like, this is what we were made to do. So God has made us to sing. But then we also see this fourth thing. He has uh, commanded us to sing. We're, we're, we're commanded. This is an, it's an expectation, okay? The psalm, psalm tells us, sing to the Lord. It's not an option. This is something that, that he wants us to do. In fact, uh, even in the church, In Ephesians chapter 5, I know many of you know this and your mind was instantly going here, but I've got it for you on the screen. Here's Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19. It says we're to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So what that means is this: as God's word is dwelling in us richly, it comes out in this expression of song and praise. It's just going to come out if it's in here. But I want you to notice something about this verse. Notice who you're singing to. Do you see that? It actually says that we're to be addressing one another. You know what that means? That means that when we come and gather together on a Sunday morning, one of the things we're doing is we're actually singing to each other in this. We need to be hearing. I need to hear the person next to me because they're reminding me, they're encouraging me, like they believe this too. We believe in what we're singing, and, and that does something to the body of Christ when we are hearing and singing to one another. I actually thought, how cool would it be if instead of coming in on a Sunday morning and we all faced the screen and the lyrics and we all sang to that, that you literally turned to the person sitting next to you, turned to your neighbor, and just sang to them. Go, go ahead, turn to your neighbor and say, It's kind of weird, but but here's the thing. We're not singing your praise, okay? We're singing and reminding you to praise. This is what we were made to do. This is why we're here. We came to praise the name of the Lord. And and so we're actually singing about the Lord. But then there's other times where we actually turn our focus and we, we direct our praise directly to the Lord. We actually see that example of Moses right here in the song. He gives us an example of that. There's, there's times where he's singing uh, about the Lord. Verse 2, he says, The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. Verse 3, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. He's singing about God. But then there's other times where he, he actually turns and directs his praise directly to God. Verse 6, he says, Your right hand, O Lord. I'm talking directly to him. Your hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. In, in, your greatness of your, in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. Verse 11, who is like you, O oh Lord? So do you see what, what's happening is that when we gather together to praise and to worship, all of our worship must be vertical. Even the songs where we're singing about him, he is the focus in all of this. So think about what God is doing for it. First of all, he's giving us the example because he's a singing God, he's a singing Savior. And he's also created us, he's made us for this, and, and then he commands it, he expects it. But then this, uh, last reason, God actually gives us a new song to sing. Like he gives us the example, he makes us for this, he commands and expects it, and then he literally gives us a song so that we have something to sing about. And, and, and we read this in Psalm 40, you know these words so well, I've got them for you here on the screen. Uh, the, 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 the psalmist says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure, and he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. So, so, so he's saying, look at what God has done. Man, I was down in a pit. Do you realize how bad off I was? And then, but God, he brought me out of that. Look what God has done for me. He has saved me, and I have reason to sing. I can't help it. i got to praise him. And the music, what what, what an awesome gift that God has given us because it allows our minds to connect with our hearts. And and then it overflows out of this tool that God has given us uh, to communicate what we know is true and what we feel in our emotions and, and what we choose to believe and obey with our will. And when we know who he is and what he's done for us, we can't help. We, we, we just got to, it just pours out of us in passionate worship. We're going to sing. And I think here's the Israelites with this brand new song. I told you, I don't, I don't, I don't really know, but I kind of imagine this moment. Like, just, just think about like, what that must have been like to see this miracle and i think that like after the the waters of the red sea kind of crash back into place and finally stop sloshing back and forth and they're they're starting to see the 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 bodies of the egyptian soldiers that they were so afraid of and and that hated them so much they're they're starting to wash up on the shore and 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 the water finally slows down to a a roll of the waves and everything i just i wonder if the people just kind of stood there in stunned silence And then this whole new realization started washing over them. It's done. We're free. The the enemy has been defeated. The threat of slavery and oppression is gone. We are saved. So, So what do we do now? Thankfully, Moses knew exactly what to do. It's time to sing. God has just given them a new song. And so right after immediately following the story that we get in Exodus chapter 14, we get a a, a retelling of this famous story in the form of a song. And I, and I realize that, honestly, you read through this, some of the details can be kind of confusing. Uh, for example, in, in, in chapter 14, it kind of sounded like the Egyptians were already down on the ground and the water just kind of came over top of them. But here in, in, in chapter 15, it almost sounds like God threw them, like he, like he dropped them in and they sank to the bottom. So, so which is it? Because we want to you know, know the literal details of how exactly that happened. Well, listen, remember that this song is poetry. So don't get tripped up by the genre here. Moses is poetically describing how God just piled up the waters and triumphed gloriously over Pharaoh's army. And he says like he, he, he consumes them like they're stubble. And the thing that Moses wants to do in portraying God in this song, he's showing that God is a mighty warrior. God is a, God is a soldier in this song. Look verse 3. He says, God is, the Lord is a man of war. That'll bust up some categories. Like I, He's not an old man sitting on a porch with a big white beard, right? It's not God. And I know, I know we're kind of drawn to pictures of of, of God's love, and, and rightly so. But, but sometimes we're so uh, enamored with his love that we come to stories like this, and, and we're like, well, you know, that's the, that's the God of the Old Testament, but the God of the New Testament, he's not like that. And, and it's, you know, Jesus, he's, He's so nice. He's so gentle. And, and he would never raise his voice in anybody or make anybody feel bad. And, and, and he is nice and he is gentle. But if that's the way you think about it, then apparently you weren't paying attention when we read through the Gospels. And, and what do you do with texts like Revelation 19? Revelation 19 where we see Jesus is sitting on a white horse and he judges and makes war and his eyes are like a flame of fire and he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the armies of heaven are following him on white horses and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the same Jesus? That's the same Jesus. Okay, here's what you have to understand about that. God is showing his power as a mighty warrior because he is a God of love. You see, this, this this demonstration of his power in conquering the Egyptians at the Red Sea is a picture of his loving, uh, his care and his concern for his people. He knew their suffering under the oppression of their enemies. He heard their cries for help. And because of his love, because of his compassion, we see him moved by that compassion and his willingness and his ability to come down and do something about it and to set all things right. And he comes and he saves them out of that. And because they are saved... Now they sing. Man, our God is a mighty warrior. Look what he has accomplished for us. In verse 2, he says, "The Lord is my strength and my song; he has become my salvation." This is my God. I will praise him. It's personal now. God has saved me. He is my savior. And there's there's no doubt who gets the glory here either. Cuz by the time they're looking at this and they're looking around and seeing what God did, they say verse 11, "Who is like you, O Lord?" Who is like you among the gods? Now, when, when we read that, it kind of feels weird because we're like, there's only one God, right? Well, you got to remember that in this culture back in the day, when, when two nations went at it and, and, and fought each other in war, they saw it as a battle of the gods, okay? Everybody had gods. We all had, you had your God, you had our, our, our God and all that. So we, when we battle, it's really a question of whose God is stronger, whose God is more powerful. In fact, we have archaeological evidence of this. And we, this is just the way it worked, that, that if your army went in and, and conquered a city, what you do is you go in and you level the temple to that city's God, and then you build your God's temple on top of that. How you like me now? Right? My God won. Well, well Egypt has a whole host of false gods, and, and God had actually promised back in chapter 12, he said, on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. And we just saw him expose the impotence of all of these false gods in the ten plagues. And then he finally submerges the most powerful army on earth underwater. Who won? There's no doubt. There's no God like our God. He is majestic in holiness. He is awesome in glorious deeds. Our God is a glorious Savior. And this is a picture of our salvation through Jesus, who conquers our enemies. Jesus is a mighty warrior who conquers our enemies. Praise God. That's why we sing. But time out, time out. Like, let, let me make sure that we don't uh, confuse who our real enemy is, okay? So we're, we're not supposed to be reading this story and start thinking about your uh, annoying, selfish roommate that keeps messing up your stuff or, or the neighbor who keeps parking in your spot or, or, or that arrogant parent of the kid who's mean to your kid. And you read this and you're like, yes, God, strike down my enemies. Not the point of this passage, okay? All right. Here's what he's saying. Because he loved us, because he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross. But Jesus rose again, and he conquered sin and Satan and death. Those are our enemies. And praise God, he is a mighty warrior who fights for us and gives us a victory that we could have never won for ourselves. So we want to give praise to Jesus. When we sing, think about this then. When we're singing, our focus has got to be on him. We praise him because of who he is and what he does. So whether you're jamming out to you know, WGTS on the radio or, or you're like reminded of some of the lines from one of your favorite old hymns and or, or or whether you're gathering together on Sunday morning at Lanier Middle School, our worship and our singing must be Christ-centered. Not me-centered. Not how I feel, how this how this impacts me, but we just we want our eyes to go vertical. We want to be careful. To make sure that the words that we are singing accurately reflect the truth of God's word. And that we're celebrating the gospel and Christ's victory. I'm thankful for all the work that Phil does to make sure that what we are singing, these things reflect the truth of the Bible. And we are lifting our praise to Jesus. But then think about, here's here's how music is so cool. Because song actually then helps us connect personally with theology. Because we're praising the fact that Jesus died on the cross, but not just that he died on the cross, but he died on the cross for me. He did this for me. And I want to praise my glorious Savior. So here's the deal. If you have been saved by Jesus, we want to hear you sing. We want to hear you sing. It's not a show so you can like impress your neighbor with your vocal chops and the fact that you can sing in like three-part harmony or, you know, it's, it's not that. It's, you know, don't need to get hung up on the guy behind you can't really sing at all. It's not a show. And, and music is also not just an outlet for creative, artsy people, okay? Like I realize that you may be more introspective and, and expressing emotions may not really seem natural to you. But listen, Jesus is a glorious Savior. He deserves our praise. And saved people sing. That's what we do. Let me give you the second example for us to follow from this song at the sea. Here it is. Note this. Not only are we singing uh, to your glorious Savior, but sing with the hope of his kingdom. Sing with the hope of His kingdom. Now, now I want you to. We're gonna we're gonna unpack verse thirteen because verse thirteen kind of becomes a, a transition in the song. Okay, so the first half of the song was really focused on the fact that God is saving them from Egypt, but but verse thirteen starts to reveal there's there's a reason for that. There's there's a greater purpose as to why He's bringing them out. He's not just saving them just to save them. There's a reason what He's doing. He says to you, you have you have led in your steadfast love. Got to remember He is literally leading them by a pillar of cloud by day by a pillar of fire by night, all right, and he's leading them out, and they can trust him, why? Because he is leading in his steadfast love, I love that Sally Lloyd-Jones calls that his his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, we can trust this guy, he's leading us because he loves us, and it's the people whom you have redeemed, redeemed means he's bought them, he has reclaimed them, he's brought them out of slavery into safety, okay? Okay? but he's actually leading them somewhere. He's, he's taking them. He says, you have, you have guided. Interesting, that's the, the same word in the Hebrew that we see in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me, same word. He leads me beside still waters. God is a, God is a loving, caring shepherd. He is leading, he is guiding them. But where, where is he taking them? Where does it say? He is guiding them by your strength, to your holy abode. So that means that God is taking them to the place where he lives. Think about that. God didn't just, uh, you know, like get them out of Egypt so that he could bring them out here and just say, well, you know, hey, I think you guys can take it from here. You know, uh, I've done everything I need to do. You just, you guys have some fun. I'll see you when I see you. He actually wanted to be with them. God brought them out so that he could bring them into a covenant relationship with himself. He wants to be with them. And so this verse actually marks kind of a, a major transition for us in the book of Exodus. We spent a lot of time talking about Pharaoh and Egypt. From here on out, we're leaving Egypt behind, and we are heading out into the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And you can see it in the song. Verses 14 to 18 are really future-focused there's some things that are coming in, in this text that are actually pretty prophetic, okay? Moses actually starts prophetically listing the nations that Israel is going to encounter as God leads them into the promised land. And he sings, they're singing this in such a way like, the word is getting out. People are starting to hear what God did at the Red Sea. And it's the people of Philistia and Edom and Moab and Canaan. They have heard and they tremble. Terror and and, and and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. The Red Sea is kind of like an ominous warning for all the other nations. You're next. Don't mess. But then look where he's going. Verse 17, here's, here's where it is. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the the place which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary which your hands have established. So, so, so it says that God is going to bring them to his mountain. Which, mo- which mountain is it? There's a lot of mountains in the Bible. Which, which mountain are we talking about? It's entirely possible that he's talking about Mount Sinai, where in just a few chapters, God is going to meet with Moses and give him the law, give him the Ten Commandments. But I think ultimately, the mountain that they're singing about is Mount Zion. You know that by this city, the city of Jerusalem. I I put this picture up here because I want you to, I know it's kind of hard to tell, uh, but this is the city of Jerusalem. I am actually standing on the Mount of Olives looking through. You can see this valley along the bottom, and, and the old city stretches up into a mountain. Now, King David was the one who actually came and conquered this city He he took it from the Jebusites, who are actually Canaanites, just like you see here in verse 15, and he brought the Ark of the Covenant here so that God's presence would dwell here. And then later, it's his son Solomon, you can actually see down here is David's palace, and his son Solomon actually extended the city up to on top of Mount Zion, and he built the temple there, and it's in the temple that the Ark of the Covenant with the stone tablets that are from Mount Sinai are kept there, and God's glory fills the temple there in Jerusalem. That's the picture. That's the thing that they are looking forward to. They're singing with that in mind. So, so, so Moses is singing with this hope for the future where God is going to bring them into the promised land and establish his dwelling place. In fact, John Selhammer argues that, that, that this song is actually reflecting and, and foreshadowing what King David is going to do. There's some specific things that David fulfills in this prophecy because David is the one who, uh, you know this, he defeats the Philistines, right? Right? Right there in verse 14, he kills Goliath and defeats the Philistines. 2 Samuel 8 also tells us that he defeats the Edomites and the Moabites, just like there in verse 15. And I just told you, he's the one who captures the, 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 the city of Jerusalem from the Canaanites, and he makes it his capital, and he brings in the Ark of the Covenant. So, so David, they're singing about things that David is going to come and fulfill. But of course you know that David points to another king, a greater king. Because God made a covenant with David, and he said, of uh, of one of your sons, and that son is King Jesus, of that son, I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. How How does Moses end the song here in verse 18? The Lord will reign forever and ever. See, this song is ultimately fulfilled in the kingdom of Jesus. Our world is a mess. And like we, it, we, we, we look around and we see all this chaos and, and, and corruption and racism and injustice and pollution and poverty and, and you know, disasters and humanitarian crises and war. I mean there's just brokenness on a grand scale, but yet and it, it, it a lot of times touches close to home with our own failures and brokenness in our relationships, broken families, abuse and and loneliness, and emptiness, and guilt, and shame, suffering, sickness, death, and and, and all you got to do is live long enough to, to to realize that whatever it is we're doing here, it's not working. And scripture is clear that the only way that things get fixed is when Jesus is in charge. Here's the cool part, then. We as the church get to actually start getting a taste of that because we get to live and and experience the the freedom and the joy of living in submission to King Jesus. We get a taste of what's that like, and then we get to spread that message of his kingdom around the world. So there's a lot of reason, even in the midst of all this pain and suffering and, and brokenness, we still have so much reason to praise him for what he is doing in and through us even now. But, There's also the hope that he is coming again. King Jesus will return, and when he does, he will wipe away every tear, and he is going to set all things right. Here's the best part. Just like God brought out Israel from Egypt so that he could take them to be with him, Jesus does the same for us, that we could dwell with him. Here's what he said, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus says, if I go... And prepare a place for you. I will come again. I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And we're holding on to these promises that, that, that we're going to experience the joy of living with him forever and his kingdom. If that doesn't give you reason to sing, I don't, I don't know what will. But notice how this ends. Verse 20 you got Miriam, that's Aaron and Moses' his sister. She's leading the women in singing and dancing. And then I want you to see verse 21. They, they start to sing a song, but they are actually repeating the lyrics. It's the same lyrics of verse 1. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into sea. So because we just heard the song, and immediately as the song closes, somebody starts singing again. I think that's actually the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to keep, don't stop, keep singing. I can't tell you how many times this happens in my household. I wish I could say it was just the kids, but my kids make fun of me for this. Like I get a song stuck in my head and then I just keep singing it over and over and over. And I think what God is showing us here, he never gets tired of hearing it. We should never stop singing praises to our Savior. Father, I pray that you would make us a worshiping church. We give you praise that you saved us. We thank you for what you accomplished for us on the cross and in the resurrection. We know that you deserve the glory. We're so thankful that even though you made the heavens, even though you are sustaining the universe, you know what's going on in our lives. And so you're a personal God. You care, you hear, you know. And you've demonstrated your compassion. You've demonstrated your mercy. You've demonstrated your grace to us. And even in the midst of of brokenness and suffering and pain and chaos in the world, we just just have hope. We still have reason to sing, even in the midst of that. That we hold on to these promises. That your kingdom is going to be established forever. So we praise you that we get to taste that even now. So I pray that we would lift high the name of our glorious Savior and that we would be known as a singing church and we'll give you the praise that you deserve in Jesus' name.